Have any of you ever had a time where you had an experience and that experience has changed you forever? Maybe it was uh, you got up real early and decided to go for a walk outside. We call that hiking in these areas. And, uh, and you got up before the sun and you got to the top of the hill, mountain, whatever it is, before the sun was at your height. And there's something about the sunrise that forever changed you. Maybe it was a conversation you had uh, with a person. Maybe it was with a therapist. Maybe it was with uh, your parents or something where you got after that encounter with them, you were forever changed. Maybe it was the first time you saw the Grand Canyon. How many of you have seen the Grand Canyon? It'll change you. It makes you feel tiny. Maybe it was the first time you were in Yosemite and you looked up and saw El Capitan and Half Dome and you're like, holy cow, I'm only six feet tall and this is what this looks like. Or 6'10". But you feel so small and it changes everything about Maybe it's the first time you saw your spouse on your wedding day. A time where you walked in one way and then you walked out completely different. Have any of you ever had that happen to you? We're nodding. Okay. What was it? Um, it was, I am. It was um, a small village in Nepal on a trip to Richard and uh, realizing that I was called not just to not hate people, but to love them. Yeah? Changed you. There's a passage in Ezekiel that talks about people coming into the city to worship in Jerusalem. Thank you, Glenn. Sorry for putting you on the spot. Uh, it talks about people coming in to worship, and it says, May they come in through the gates, may they worship, but when they leave, have them go out a different way. Have them, because they're going to come in and they're going to change, they're going to have an encounter, and they're going to be different. I had an encounter like this once. Uh, it wasn't anything uh, uh, like a church service, or we'll, we'll talk about one of those later, but this encounter I want to talk about now happened uh, during a time in life where we were between jobs. One job of mine had ended, and I thought there would be another one, but there was a time of nothing, and it was very scary. And so, and, and you know my story, this just spiked all of my red flags. It was, this was bad for us, for me at least. Carrie is the faithful one. She was strong. And here I am freaking out. But before this, I had purchased, before the job loss, I had purchased tickets to go see the Foo Fighters at the Great Western Forum. You guys know the band, the place? It was going to be epic. And I thought, I'll just buy them. And then the day of the concert, I'm sitting at home and I'm thinking, this is like 250 bucks that we really need right now. I can sell these and, and, and be okay. And Carrie goes, no, we're going. We're going to go to this concert. So... She left work early. We battled traffic to, to go through L.A. We got to the forum. We pulled in around 6 o'clock. There was an opening band, but they were terrible. Uh, and so we, but we sat there, and the Foo Fighters came on. And I have had, up to this point, like months of just downright depression, just feeling awful. And for the four hours that the Foo Fighters played, Carrie said she hadn't heard me laugh like that in a long time. So I walked into the Great Western Forum one way. I left another way. I had an encounter there. There was a lightness that comes. And this, I think God can use even Dave Grohl's voice in that situation to bring joy and happiness. And it changed me. This was an encounter that I had. Four hours of rock and roll. That night, we pulled in one way. 
we left another way. Have you ever had an encounter like this? There are encounters that we have each and every single day of our lives. Every day you encounter something. And whether you know it or not, you encounter it and then you walk away different. In small ways, in large ways, you have encounters all the time. And as we change, as we, as we go in through the Gospels, we see people all the time having encounters with Jesus. They walk up to Him sick, they leave healed. They walk up to Him confused, they leave set straight. They leave with the right mind. And what we see is that an encounter with Jesus will leave you forever changed. And what I like about the Gospels is we see real people, we see real problems, we see real dilemmas, but we see real encounters and we see real changes. And so with this, I wholeheartedly believe that as we pursue an encounter with Christ, we will always find three concrete truths. And if you have your bulletins today, uh, I I put fill in the blanks, uh, partly because I wanted to see what this would look like. But if you want to follow along, there's fill in the blanks. If you need a pen, grab one. If you don't, if you don't need a pen, then don't grab a pen. But the, the, first, uh, the first fill in the blank is that an encounter with Christ and His power is always greater than information. Any encounter we have with Christ is greater than, we, than information. In the passage we'll be looking at, that we're looking at today, it's in Luke 4, Jesus starts this passage at, uh, coming back from a time of temptation. He had been baptized. Before the baptism, there was the phrase that we talked about a little bit last week. He baptized as soon as he came out of the water, a dove descended, and God said, the Father, God said to Jesus, this is my son, and I'm proud of you. This is how I would say it. I'm proud of you. I'm well pleased. And with that phrase, Jesus walks into the desert to be tempted. Every temptation that we see Jesus experience comes attacking that encounter that Jesus had before he walked into the desert. Jesus goes 40 days in the desert. The devil comes and tempts him. He resists with every single one. He reflects back on what God had already said of what's true about him, that he's pleased with him, that God is proud of him. The Father is proud of him. And when Jesus comes back from the 40 days in the desert, he walks into his hometown. He walks straight into a synagogue. He reads a passage from Isaiah and then instantly is kicked out and they try and kill him. Just kind of a fun thing, you know? Come, come home, what a homecoming. And then, from then, Jesus goes into another town of Capernaum. And there he begins to uh, perform miracles. He begins to heal people. Jesus uh, comes in, and, and in verse 38, he left the synagogue. And then he went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering with a high fever. And they'd asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. This is something my mom would do. She would be totally sick in bed, and then she'd feel better, and then she'd pop up and start making brownies. That's just the way my mom is, and this is how I picture what was happening. But the word had gotten out about Jesus. They said something about him when he was teaching. They said, this guy, this guy teaches with an authority. This guy teaches with a grace. This guy knows what he's talking about. And when they're talking about the way Jesus teaches and the way the other teachers teach, there was a vast difference because if Jesus taught with authority and grace, the other teachers didn't. And so Jesus was different. Now what made Jesus different? He was teaching from a place where he had an encounter with God. He was changed from there and that encounter 
was is what dictated how he taught and how he acted. Now, Peter heard about this, goes and gets Jesus. And Jesus, I love the image, he's bending over, leaning towards Peter's mother-in-law and saying, you know, rebuking the fever. In the, in the Greek, he reprimands it and tells it to go away. But I love the image of God leaning over to have an encounter with somebody else, with Peter's mom. Now, one thing that we get on Peter a lot in Scripture is that we think he says the wrong thing at the wrong time, and he does. He's kind of open mouth, insert foot kind of character. But one thing Peter gets right here, Peter doesn't say, hey, mom, there's this guy down the street, and he's healing people. Cool, eh? And then leave. He doesn't just tell his mother-in-law about Jesus. The text says here clearly, he goes and gets Jesus. And he brings Jesus to the side of her bed. Now, if he would have simply just said to his mother-in-law, hey, there's this Jesus guy, cool, and walked away, would that have done anything? No. If he just gave her information about who Jesus was and then just left, mother-in-law would still be sick battling a fever. Peter's wife would have been even more angry. And that's, you know, maybe that's the motivation of why Peter went. His wife's saying, go get Jesus, bring her here, bring him here. But what we see in this first instance is that an encounter with Christ is way better and more stronger than any kind of information that you will ever have. We love information. We love to know things. We love to know all the facts. We'll read copious amounts of reports and details and we just read them. How much information do you take in every single day? We have so, many, so much information and we rely on it. But we rarely do anything with the information. I always laugh at those who work in the medical industry that know the impact of cigarette smoking and yet they're sitting outside their, their doors smoking a cigarette. It's me. I, I know I shouldn't have had the apple fritter today, but I did. We know things, but the knowledge doesn't change us. We can know everything, but it won't change us. In this, in this instance, Peter knew Jesus was down the street, knew Jesus could heal, but knowing that Jesus can heal and actually experiencing Jesus' healing are two different things. And so he goes, gets Jesus, brings him in, and then other people heard about what was happening. If you look in verse 40, word spread about Jesus. And in verse 40, at sunset, people bought, brought Jesus brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. The word got out. People began to bring. The word there for brought is the means to carry. They went, they picked people up. Notice it wasn't the sick people who were walking to meet Jesus. It was their friends picking them up and carrying them along to meet Jesus in order for them to be changed. The word for carry, the root word for carry is the word ago, A-G-O. Uh, but when you look at the word A-G-O, it's also the root word to announce or to celebrate. And so these people were bringing their friends to celebrate, not celebrate more information they were bringing them to celebrate the life change that was going to happen to them. They brought their friends to meet Jesus expecting something different, expecting their friends to be maybe carried in 
Or in one instance, we see them lowered in from the ceiling. Or in another instance, we see a woman come and reach out to touch Jesus' robe, the hem of his robe. They were brought, they were carried in order that they may be changed. Again, they weren't brought to know information. They weren't brought just to say, hey, there goes Jesus, he's a neat guy. No, they brought their friends to be changed, not just to know something else. How many of us know a lot about Jesus? How many of us have heard the stories dozens and dozens of times? But how many of us have actually been changed by Jesus? Here's what I'm getting at. We love information. We love it, but rarely do we actually act on the information, especially when it comes to Jesus. We want to know all about it. We want to know the answers to the theology questions. We want to know the answers to the the ethics questions. And those are great. But what's even greater is an actual hands-on experience with Christ. Information is one thing. Experiencing it is another thing. Sometimes we settle for knowing about Jesus instead of simply knowing Jesus, which is a lot like me in the weather. Carrie bought me a weather station for our house, and it has those things that hangs outside. I love to stare at that thing, because I like to see what's going to happen and if it's going to be wrong. And so I, I, I look at, I look at it, it, rarely, it rarely is right, but I look at it and I go, oh, the barometric pressure is this, the sun is supposed to be shining and the temperature is rising. Here's the indoor temperature. Here's the outdoor temperature. Here's the forecast. And I'm loving this information, right? And it says it's going to be a beautiful day. Okay, I'm going to go sit back on the couch. Instead, what would be better? Hey, this says it's going to be a beautiful day. I'm going to go in the backyard. We're going to take you to the park. We're going to go out on the water. We're going to experience the beauty of of this day. We see it all around us, but do we actually experience it firsthand? And I'm afraid that the church, not just here, but the church in general, has settled for more information about Jesus than experiences and firsthand knowledge of him. And I pray that through this next series, we start seeking what an encounter with Jesus looks like. John the Baptist, real quick, John the Baptist was on, was going, he was on death row, he was about to die, and he asked, he sent his people to see Jesus, and they were like, is this, John the Baptist wants to know if you're really who you say you are. Jesus looks back at, the follow, at his followers, and he says in Luke 7, at the time Jesus had cured diseases and sicknesses and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind, so he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. What did Jesus not do in that? He didn't say, well, according to the passage in Isaiah chapter 60, and according to this passage in Joel, no, 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 no. He says, look at the encounters that people are having with me. And you tell me, have you experienced who I am, and if yes, go tell John what's happening. Go tell him that people are having encounters with Christ. This is the real deal. He doesn't give him more information. He points to an experience. An encounter with Christ is greater than any sort of information. And What we see next in the text is that an encounter with Christ, uh, his freedom is greater than what's oppressing us. 
Look in verse 41. The sick are being healed. Moreover, demons came out of people shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them. It wouldn't allow them to speak because they, because they knew he was Messiah. Mark tells the story in a little bit more of a hurry. He says that evening after sunset, people brought the, the sick, uh, Jesus, all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered the door. And Jesus healed many, many, many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Last week, we talked a little bit about the spiritual war that's going on around us. And so this was normal practice for Jesus. Anytime he did something, anytime grace showed up, anytime truth was around, anytime uh, that the love of the kingdom of God was, was being seen, Satan would try to oppose it. We see this in the real world. We live in a spiritual battle. I have a missionary friend in Nepal. When he pulls into a village and they're going to plant a church, they go in and then they wait for the, the resistance to begin. And if they don't get resistance, they move on to the next town. They go looking for a fight. They're crazy. But they pull in, and if they have resistance, they go, this is where we're going to be because this is where the gospel needs to be. This is where grace, grace truth, and life and the healing encounters of Christ need to happen. And we're going to start here. And so this is what's happening to Jesus. He was undoing everything that was oppressing people. And when the demons came out of people, they had the right theology, and they said, you're the son of God. And Jesus tells them to be quiet, which is interesting. Why would you tell them to be quiet when they're telling the truth? What we think of, what I think of is, if Satan is the father of lies, if he's the king of lies, why would you believe a liar? And so Jesus says, you're not going to spread the news about me. I'm going to control this, and people are going to have an encounter with me, and then they'll know who I am. The demons believe who Jesus was. It says in James 2, uh, you believe that there is one God, great. Even the demons believe and they shudder. And so we have this picture of Jesus going town to town. People are being released from the control of demons. They're being released from possession. They're being released from the oppression. And Jesus walks in and he casts them all away. They freak out. They yell, you are this. Jesus says, you be quiet. And he continues going on and healing people. And we talk about dem demonic oppression or demonic possession real quick just to clear things up when we, uh, we we talk about oppression we're talking about an outside in force that there is a temptation it's an encouragement to either sin or go into sinful behavior it's a it's outside in when we talk about possession it's inside out it means they've taken up residence inside of you and so there's an encouragement here. As a follower of Christ, you are indwelled and filled by the Spirit. It says that in every single epistle. It says that in Ephesians, Corinthians. You have a filling of God's Spirit. You are possessed already by God's Spirit. You're possessed in a good way. He has you. He has sealed you. You, however, can be oppressed. You can fight temptation. The Satan loves to look at our weak spots and he'll say, you're weak here, I'm going to expose that, and I'm going to oppress in this area. Well, what we find with an encounter of Jesus is that Jesus is greater and undoes, uh, gives us freedom to those places where you're oppressed. Oppressed might look different for a lot of people. It might look like, a, it might look like anxiety. It might look like regret. It might look like worry. It might look like a bunch of things. It might look like trying to control everything. 
so that you, nothing ever goes wrong. It might look like being shaped by your family history and a shame that you're going to redo it and relive it. And it's something that brings you bondage. It's something that provokes in you uh, a way to get out of the joy that you have in Christ. And what we find is that many of us are oppressed by many different things. And we feel that we're held in chains by those oppressions. Trying to keep up in Seattle, the pressure to find a spouse, the worry about whether or not you're going to make it, the worry about whether or not fill in the blank, the fear, the temptation, all of those are ways that Satan comes at you and tries to oppress you in order to steal your joy, in order for you to go into a life of sin. Jesus' power is stronger and greater than those oppressions. Here's how it works out with me. My story, I have anxiety. I have worry. I love to worry about not worrying about something. And so I do this. This is just, this is my way. And so when it happens to me, it usually happens middle of the night. I'll wake up with the worry about something. And I'll be up for the longest time. And I'll, I'll, I'll go through, I have little tricks that I try and do. And, and so it, what I find is that when I recognize that I'm being attacked in this worry, the anxiety is just a part of my DNA, family history, it's there. But when I'm being attacked by this worry, it's Satan trying to expose a soft spot in me. And so what I've learned to do is turn towards Christ, whose presence and an encounter with him is stronger this oppression. And so what I do is I have breath prayers. I'll breathe in one phrase. I'll breathe out another phrase. If it happens in the daytime and it's appropriate to go outside, sometimes I take a walk. Sometimes I go out to my lawn and search for weeds and pull them. If you'd like to give me your address, the next time I have an anxiety attack, I'll come pull weeds. Sometimes it's putting in headphones and listening to worship music. Other times it's a long walk or, or a long talk with Carrie. Lately, it's been looking at birds, finding them, remembering that God cares for them. Sometimes it's going to the gym. There's a ton of different practices that I have that allow me the space to, in the middle of the area where I feel oppressed or tempted most, I can have an encounter with God's Spirit, and that Spirit is stronger than what's oppressing me. It doesn't mean that my anxiety and my depression go away. They might. They'll come back. They might not. But what it does mean that in Christ, I have the capability to not be controlled by what's trying to get me down. I have the power of Jesus with me, and I'm not controlled by what's oppressing me. Today, what do you feel oppressed by? Are you oppressed? Maybe you're oppressed, you don't even know it. You're so used to being oppressed. Today, maybe an encounter of Jesus would bring freedom to you because that his power and his presence is stronger and greater than that oppression. All of these things are normal, what we're oppressed about. And that's why Satan uses them to attack us. But when Jesus walks into this town, the first thing he does is he finds the oppressed people. They come to them and he sets them free. He says, stop this. You're not oppressing these people anymore. It's the kingdom of God showing up in the middle of the kingdom of, of Satan and saying, you will not live like this anymore. We don't have to live this way. When we encounter Christ, his freedom is greater than what's holding us back. 
And the last thing, when we encounter Christ, we find out that his call is greater than the world's. Look with me in verse 42. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns, because this is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogue and throughout Judea. Luke writes this in a detailed way, and he always gives us, some, or sometimes gives us, a little tiny time codes. If you go back in the passage, you see that people were bringing Jesus, their sick friends, at sunset. This tells us that this was sunrise, daybreak, dawn. There's a time before dawn, and I love this time of day. It's before the sun's over the horizon, but it's light enough to where you don't need a flashlight, or it's light enough to where your car headlights don't turn on. It's, it's the time of day where most of all you all are still sleeping, right? It's a beautiful time to sleep in. I like to be awake. It's that time where I find my brain is turned on and actually working. It's, it's where I get the good ideas. It's, it's when I go to the gym. It's, it's usually when I do my reading. It's, this is the time where I feel most awake and alert is this time before dawn, before sunrise, that twilight time. This is when Jesus goes out. This is when Jesus goes out to have time with his Father. Notice this chapter begins in Luke 4 with Jesus coming off an encounter with with God, saying he's well-pleased. This chapter ends with him having another encounter with God, probably to hear the same thing, that he is well-pleased. It's sunset. Now it's dawn. The text implies that Jesus had been working at something all night long. He'd been healing people all night long. People had been coming. And so the next morning, what is Jesus doing? He's not sleeping in. He's not resting. He's not taking a break. He's going away to pursue another encounter. His ministry, his power, his authority, his grace, everything that is drawing people to Christ comes from these encounters. They're what fuel him. Oh, sure, there's tons to be done. Mark says that the person who tried to come get him was Peter. Peter says, hey, Jesus, there's more people to be healed. There's a bunch of people down there. But Jesus says, it's okay. This is more important for me, that I have an encounter with Christ. Because here's the temptation that Peter had, and it's the same temptation that you and I have. And sometimes we keep falling into it. The temptation for us is to keep going, to keep healing, to keep up with the crowds and pray the crowds get bigger, to keep up with the trends and hope that you're trending, to keep up with what people think you should be doing. Because in their minds, that is the most important thing that you can do. What you think I should be doing is the most important thing. And we fall into this temptation. For Peter, the most important thing for him, for Jesus to be doing, is what Peter wanted him to do. These people need to be healed. But according to Jesus, this wasn't the most important thing. Those people will be fine. They will be healed. But right now, he had to focus on something else. He had to go have an encounter for himself. For Jesus, the most important thing in that moment wasn't what Peter wanted. It's what God wanted. God was calling him to something else. The, the way of thinking is that we will only find Jesus in doing more, 
and serving more and being there and, and, and working and, and trying and trying and trying and filling our schedules, filling our Facebook feeds, getting on with the new cause. And we think that that's, that's what Jesus called us to do. And it's true, he might be calling you to do just that. But if you only look for Jesus in what you're doing, you're actually missing Jesus. Because we get so involved in what the kingdom work is of righting injustices. And yes, that is all good. But sometimes we are so focused on work of the kingdom that we forget that there's a king to the kingdom. We forget that there's a king that wants us to have a relationship with him. That wants us to encounter him on a daily and regular basis. Now there's a flip side to this. We can get so focused on a king and so focused at the feet of Jesus that we never go out and do the kingdom work. And so there's a balance to this. Some of us, it's sunset in your life. And you need your friends to bring you to be healed. Some of us, it's sunrise in your life. You've been healed. You've been restored And now it's time for you to get up and do something with it. There's a balance that we have. And Jesus calls us to both. He calls people to come and have an encounter. And then, like Peter's mom, it's time to get up and do something. But don't forget to have that encounter. Jesus was very laser focused on what he was supposed to do. On what he was supposed to care about. There are literally hundreds of things for you to care about. You can't walk out of a a store without being confronted with the homeless situation. You can't drive up a roar without looking at sex trafficking. You can't turn on the news without hearing about politics. You can't do anything without hearing about financial injustice, family issues. There are hundreds of causes that we are being pulled towards. But an encounter with Christ and what we see Jesus doing, an encounter with his Father, told him what he should be doing, pulled him towards that one single focus. Should you care about the things that are going on? Absolutely. You should be caring about what's going on in your world. But just because you care about them doesn't mean that you're the one that's called to fix all of the problems that's going on in the world. There's a call for you. Usually it's what makes you most angry and what breaks your heart at the same time. And that is where you are being called to. You're called, and the only way we figure out where we're being called is when we come and we sit at the feet of Jesus, have an encounter with him, and then are sent out, refreshed, revived, healed ourselves, and sent out to do the work of the kingdom. When we have an encounter with our king, His call is greater than the world's call to us. And so today, do you ever expect that you will have an encounter? Jesus had an encounter, encounter, and then he says back to Peter, my job here is to proclaim the good news of God to other towns. This is why I was sent. When you have an encounter, when you expect an encounter, when you put yourself in a position to receive an encounter, you will always be reminded of the call that God has on you. One of the last encounters I had was, uh, I had a bunch of meetings up on Snoqualmie. 
And it was, that's 90 minutes away. We were there all day at, at, at a cabin. We were doing a bunch of planning. That night, I was going to meet Carrie at a concert down in Kent. She was going to go with our, her friends, and we were going to meet there. It was a, a hill song. We sing a bunch of their songs. We scored tickets to this thing. And so we were, we were on our way. So I drove up to, to, to the house all by myself, and then I was going to drive back the hour or so back to Kent. The hour back uh, to Kent, I remember saying, I turned off my radio, uh, I put my phone on silent, I just didn't want to be bothered by it, turned off every music, I was just driving, and I said, Jesus, I really need to have an encounter with you. It's been, I was going on two years since my dad had passed, there had been a lot of things happening in our lives, and it was just dry. And so I said, I need to have this. You need to speak to me now because I'm getting angry. This isn't going well. I'm getting more and more frustrated. And then as I got more and more frustrated, the cynicism began to get more and more and more up in me because I can get real cynical real quick. It's real easy. And so I think, and I'm going to a Hillsong concert where I bought tickets so I can go worship you. You better show up or this is a bad return of investment. And so I walk into this thing, and, and Christian culture is uh, interesting for me to look like. I think we all look the same. And so everyone's walking in, and I'm like, oh, do I look like all these people too? And I'm just, my cynicism chart is going off, and I'm just, I'm not in a good place going into this worship event. Everybody else is coming in, and they're all happy and joyful, and I'm like, ugh. And so I walk in, I sit down, Carrie comes in, and and it's great, good to see you, and she knows that I'm already kind of bent out of shape for being here, and I've had this argument with God, I'm sitting in this chair, and I'm still having an argument with him, the opening act come, and she was a fantastic singer, uh, I sang a little bit, but I'm still kind of ticked off, and so my cynicism is real high, and then the, the main uh, artists come out, the Hillsong artists, and, and their, their singer said something, and it, it stayed with me, he said, if you're looking for something to be cynical about, you'll find it. And I'm like, oh yeah, I found it. And he said, it can be the lights, it can be our voices, it can be the guitar solos, all of this. If you're looking for something to be mad about, something to pick on, I'll give you a list of them. Here they are, and you'll find it. But if you come into this place honestly seeking an encounter with God to be met and refreshed by Jesus through his spirit, you'll find that too. And I sat in my chair and went, oh, thanks. That's, that's what I didn't want to hear, but it's what I needed to hear. So many of us need an encounter with Jesus today. That night, I had an encounter. I walked out differently, like it says in Ezekiel. I went in one way, came out a different way. Many of us are desperate for an encounter with Jesus. It's been a while for a lot of us. And we need something. And so as we go through this series, my encouragement to you is that you would put yourself in a place where you can receive an encounter with Jesus. It might be on a Sunday morning. Why do we come? What do you expect from being here? Is it just to see friends? If it is, great. Your friends brought you, like, people brought their, like people's friends brought their sick friends to meet Jesus. But if you're here for an encounter, come expecting. Jesus will meet you. And whatever you expect to get out of these times is what you'll find. 
Maybe it's an encounter you would go into your gathering group. What are you expecting to get out of that? It's not that we have to meet all your expectations, but do we go expecting to be encouraged, expecting to have an encounter with Jesus through our community in that space? Do we have a time in the morning before dawn or in the evening before bed or sometime in the middle of the day where you place yourself in a posture where you can have an encounter? What I found with me is I really, really want an encounter, but I want it in my terms, my way, on my time. And often it doesn't work like that. I wanted it on the drive down the mountain before I got to the concert. And God's like, no, you're going to get it at the concert. And we're going to take you to school a little bit here too. Do you open yourself up in a posture and a regular basis? Do you show up to a place where Jesus can meet you? You can long for an encounter, but if you don't put yourself in a position to have an encounter, you'll never have one. It's like wanting to get strong and lose weight and buying a membership to the gym, but never going. The gym membership will never do anything for you. You have to show up. We long for an encounter, and my prayer for you is that you have that. Pray with me. Father, would you encounter us today? In this room, in this time, or sometime between now and when we go to sleep, would, you encounter, would we have an encounter with your Spirit soon? And God, may it be memorable. May we know about it. May it feed us and, and drive us and fill us with grace and hope like it did with Jesus, that we would be empowered to do what you have called us to do. That you would remind us what we should be doing. And that we would follow your call. So Holy Spirit, may we encounter you now. May our hearts be soft and expecting. May we be open to what you are trying to tell us. In Jesus' name.